Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Ann and Nick are back with a new episode with special guest Christy Palmer, co-founder of Kiva Confections, an award-winning edibles brand producing some of yours and our favorite chocolates, mints, chews, and gummies. Founded in 2010, Kiva is dominating the edible sector with products available at hundreds of dispensaries across nine states. In this episode, Anne and Nick connect with Christy to learn about Kiva's path to success and how the brand has been able to thrive in a highly competitive marketplace. The trio also discusses Kiva's decision to stay private, how President Biden's recent announcement will affect the industry, and what Christy is most looking forward to as we head towards 2023. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Christy Palmer, co-founder of Kiva Confections. Christy Palmer, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, like we said off air, uh, we are such a fan of uh, the Kiva products that we actually had a little internal scuffle about who got to interview you today. So uh, Nick and I won out, and we're we're just we're just really excited for this talk. So there's going to be a little gushing, Green Rushers. So just get ready for that. But um, Christy, I want you to take us back to your cannabis origins. How the heck did you get into this industry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, yeah. So cannabis, uh, cannabis entered my life. Um, I had a couple at a stepbrother, some cousins, we were all in Hawaii on vacation. Um, and that, that was the first time I actually consumed was, um, in the backseat of the rental car, um, sandwiched between the cousins <laughs> in Hawaii. <laughs> um, all good things well, happen in Hawaii, right? I know. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got my, uh, my first consumption introduction. Um, and then, you know, through high school and living in the Bay area, growing up in, um, this part of the state and part of the country, um, cannabis was just pretty nonchalant. Um, you know, it was, it was, uh, relaxed at least in my family, um, and in my communities. And so, um, it was always a part of my life, uh, from being a, a young, a young person until, um, to present. So yeah, um, that's sort of the, how it came to be normalized in my life was just around the people that I was with. Um, and then fast forward to, um, 2007, I'd met Scott, um, who's my husband, Kiva's, uh, co-founder, Kiva's CEO. Um, we met in school and then upon graduating, he came up to the Bay Area with me um, and we were basically starving photographers looking for gigs and trying to make ends meet. And um, I like to say like every good starving artist couple, um, <laughs> we turned to grow weed <laughs> in our backyard, <laughs> in the garden shed. So um, how yeah. did that, how was it? Uh, awful. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just moved and I have a backyard for the first time in my grown up life. And people are like, Oh, are you going to try to grow weed? And I'm like, no, like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Why? When I can go to a perfectly wonderful dispensary. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, like if you like to tinker and garden and whatever, then sure. I do not. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's way too much good weed out in the world to, uh, to waste your time doing it in your backyard. So yeah, we thought we could be, um, we thought we were potentially like going to be master cultivators. Um, turns out that after like a harvest, um, our product was just not good. Um, and so we ended up, um, uh, cutting clones instead of harvesting flour. Um, so that was cool because that then got us into the dispensaries. Um, we got experience, you know, talking to buyers, creating relationships. There were about maybe like 60 ish stores that carried, um, our clones all through the Bay area, um, down to San Jose, up to Sacramento. So when that came clear that, that, uh, that wasn't going to be, something we could do long-term like cultivation wasn't in our blood, uh, wasn't, wasn't really working for us. So, um, we thought, okay, there's gotta be a better way in cannabis. And, you know, you look at the products out on the shelves and edibles were just, there was nothing that we would purchase, uh, nothing we would share with our family or friends. Um, you know, everything packaged in a, uh, saran wrap, um, you know, Avery label kind of set up, no testing, no professionalism, no consistency. Um, so it was at that point that um, it was kind of an aha moment. Um, and we were like, yeah, edibles is where edibles make sense to us. And did you guys have any experience? I know you said you're photographers. What were, were you chefs as well that like were interested in like the tinkering around when it came to, to candies and edibles? No, uh, we were chocolate fans. <laughs> we like to eat it, <laughs> but no, no, um, no professional cooking background at all. You know, I worked in restaurants through college and, um, Scott, you know, worked at Aaron brothers and I guess he worked at Subway. <laughs> so maybe that counts. <laughs> Not really. No. <laughs> um, so no, we didn't have any, any of that type of, um, formal background, but, um, you know, Scott is, a is a, a genius and a master learner and you give that guy a problem in a, a book or the internet and he will figure it out. So, um, yeah, it was kind of uh, out of desperation that, um, that we learned to make chocolate. <laughs> and, and from there, you guys have grown into a bunch of different product categories. Um, my particular favorite of the Kiva brand is, is the Caminos. Uh, I think I gravitated to them early. I think the taste is great, especially the pineapple habanero um, and the blueberry CBN gummies. I take those. I was telling you before we got on the line, like I take those almost every night now just to get some really great sleep. Um, but I'm wondering, can you walk our uh, listeners through some of the different brands that are under the, the Kiva umbrella and just the diversity of the product line that you guys have. Yeah, totally. So we started the company with the Kiva bar, um, at the, at its first kind of introduction into the market, it was 60 milligrams of THC, uh, milk chocolate, dark chocolate that carried us for a little while, um, for probably five or six months until we, um, we could not break into some of the bigger stores like Harborside. They wanted it not double strength, but triple strength. And we were like, Holy moly, we're going to do 180 milligram product thought long and hard, you know, is this the right thing to do? But that was a strictly medical market back then, right? This is like 2011. Um, so we uh, we increased the potency of our bars 
um, added some flavors as well to help um, keep the taste experience really pleasant. Um, and from there, we then um, we innovated with kind of two products at a similar time. We went with the uh, singles. It was just a small square, like a Ghirardelli square of the chocolate bars. Um, and then we also did uh, our terabytes at the same time. Those launched within just a couple months of each other. Um, the terabytes took off and that's a, that was a chocolate covered espresso bean, five milligrams of THC per piece. You just pop the lid off, eat one, put the lid back on. And that made a ton of sense for consumers at that time. That was um, a little early in the microdosing journey um, for consumers and for patients. Um, but, uh, but really took when um took off and uh people really enjoyed that for its convenience factor. So from there, um we then launched Petra, which is our uh microdosed mint. So we leaned even harder into microdosing with just two and a half milligrams of THC. Um, that product is great for its uh it was totally different from chocolate and then it didn't melt. Um, we launched that sugar-free um, as well. And so that product was a really nice kind of um, addition to the product line. Then fast forward to like the end of 2018, and we that's when we launched Camino. And we were a little late to the gummy game. Um, Camino took us like, oh my gosh, I think it started off as a hard candy <laughs> and then it morphed into a gummy, uh, while it was in its product development journey, um, BDSA was launched. And so you could finally see data and hard candy. Like, I don't think it came up on the, uh, <laughs> on the, on really? the okay. yeah, we were like, oh, wow. Gummy is gummy is the game right now. So we, uh, pivoted, turned Camino into, um, a gummy about midway through, um, and then finally launched that at the end of the year, uh, 2018, but it needed its, um, you know, it needed its niche, it needed its stick. And that was going to be the, um, the terpene profiles and the, um, the effects kind of leaning into that effect. Um, cause in, in, you know, in our way of, of releasing products, we never want to, um, kind of follow along with our product line. We want to come out with something that's different, right. That has a catch, has a hook, um, for consumers so that it doesn't just feel like, oh, yep, there's another gummy, just like, you know, just like all the other gummies. So differentiation with that product was, was super, super important. Um, so now today, uh, our most recent brand launch has been Lost Farm and Lost Farm has a gummy, um, and a, uh, fruit chew, kind of like a, almost like a, um, starburst or like a taffy consistency. Um, and so that product line, is now um, 10 milligrams of THC per piece. We've also um, released our Camino Sours. Those are also 10 milligrams THC per piece. Um, and I point out the, the potency in particular just to show kind of our company's journey and um, and how microdosing has then um, we filled like that niche and now we're see, we're uh, serving the audience that has a little more um, experienced and is looking for a more um, a more unique or more um, uh, colorful or adventurous um, cannabis experience. So Lost Farm does that with its live resin um, strain specific. It really hits the connoisseur market, um, which is super exciting. It's like helping us kind of uh, get our our early consumers, our newbie consumers to sort of graduate up through the line and have something um, for everybody. So um, I love that. I mean, the Petras are my go to the Caminos, the the pear and the cherry are also my 
absolute favorites. Um, I will say the, the live resin, like I got to take a half. and that's fine I just take a little nibble and you know we're good uh so our I had read and this is a couple years old now that the blueberry terabytes were your number one seller is that still the case no they were the number one they are no longer um gummy is king gummy trumps everything um so uh, actually one of our other favorites or Nick your other favorite the um the uh midnight Camino of that. Yeah. And it's a a unique combination of like the CBN and the, uh, THC. And I, is there CBD in that one? I don't think I have that one here, but, um, yeah, no, I don't think so. Just, yeah. And that is just, it's an awesome product. Um, so interesting that, uh, that the gummies have surpassed the chocolates. Um, are you allowed to tell us what your favorite product is? Oh, yes, absolutely. So to this day, my favorite product is still Petra as well. And like, love that. We, I think that product was uh, made for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a smoker. So like it was, yeah, yeah. it's, it does yeah. the trick. It's great. In the low dose, I'm very sensitive and I don't like to over consume. And when I do, I get all in my head and mm-hmm. weird. And I don't have a pleasant experience. So, um, so yeah, the two and a half milligrams is just enough to loosen the shoulders and, you know, you're in the grocery store and then you're like smiling and you're like, why is this so fun? Oh yeah. Because I took a mint like an hour ago and now it's kicking in. So, um, yeah, love that. And you can throw like a handful of Petra in your jacket pocket and come back like next year and they're still good. It's, (laughs) I could go on and on about Petra. I love it. (laughs) Such a great line. I think, you know, it's kind of you've touched on already, Christy, is that the evolution of your of your consumer, I think, is is a really interesting narrative that you guys are building from that microdose to, you know, the, the regular consumer. And what I've always really liked about your brand is it's a very inviting one for somebody like me that's uh that is a, a more heavy user to introduce someone like my parents or my friends that are, 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 are new to it. Like with the colorful packaging that Kiva has, um, the, it's very informative and the flavors, the variety is just so, um, I think inviting. And so I'm wondering, like, is that part of the the ethos that you guys are trying to do is like build up for, for that kind of sharing ability. And then can you also just walk through, you know, what else has allowed you guys to succeed in this market in reaching a lot of uh, different types of consumers rather than having to, you know, focus on one segment? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, from the from the early, early, early days, like, you know, when we were doing the brand exercise to determine who will Kiva be, um, some of the words that we used to describe, you know, what the what our pillars were going to be was professionalism, um, information forward, consistency, um, natural and and really trying to break down um the the fear of an edible right they were scary back then you didn't know what you were going to get um so that i think um in turn makes it a a product that you can share with your parents or with your grandma right and feel good about it because um there's informative labeling it's an edible it's chocolate or a gummy like the format those formats lend themselves to uh, kind of bridging that gap and helping people 
come into a world of cannabis where they don't have to break up flour and put pack a pipe and pull out a lighter. Like my grandma, you know, and you're not a smoker, like neither is my grandma. Right. So like those people are never going to use, um, cannabis in those formats. So edibles being, um, being familiar and um, somewhat friendly and welcoming um, just make for a very uh, approachable experience for consumers that are a little bit more uh, sensitive. Um, and then uh, in terms of the um, the type of consumer um, that we're going that we're going for, right, Nick, that was your kind of the second part of your question. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think um, we we have come out with different brands. Um, we get this get this kind of uh, this question a lot around um, why have different brands over you know just Kiva everything right Kiva Mint Kiva Live Resin um, and you know I think it has really helped us pinpoint our consumer and go kind of like laser focus on them. Um, So the Petra consumer is a totally different person from the live resin lost farm strain specific, right? Like you've already lost that person. Maybe they'll experiment with that um, on a Saturday night, but that's not what is in their backpack or their purse every single day. Um, So that having different brands has allowed us to speak differently to different consumers. Um, So that's the bulk of it. It's also fun. Um, we love coming up with cool new stuff. Um, the visuals, uh, the brand, the communication with the consumer, like all of that is super invigorating um, and exciting and sort of built into the DNA of the company. Um, so, you know, that's that's the other five or 10% is because it's super awesome and it gets us all energized. You can definitely tell there's like, you know, you guys come from a very artistic place. I think, you know, I think the packaging is really um, eye catching um, and, you know, you're kind of always looking and seeing something different. Like I'm just noticing the pink flamingo, like on the wild cherry one, you know, I don't think I looked that hard at it, but you know, it's just beautiful packaging. So do you think that that um, like treating it because it doesn't look like weed, right? Like it looks, it looks like beautifully packaged candies or chocolates or do you, there has been such a hard, it has been so hard for brands to break out and to become a national, I mean, that's for, for lots of other reasons too, but even within like California, having a brand identity and having that brand loyalty is so rare. And I feel like you know, Kiva is one of the two or three that have really pushed through. What else do you attribute that to? Time and market for sure, right? We're 12, we're going to be 12 years old at the end of this year. So that's big. Um, but that's also, I guess, a lot of time in which to screw things up. <laughs> so, um, that's when the best learning happens though. <laughs> it sure is. Oh my God. Yes. And, and you bring up such a great point because when we were really young and small in a, un, you know, unlicensed, unregulated gray market, we made all kinds of great mistakes and we still make all kinds of great mistakes today. Um, uh, but we made them when we were small and, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't have such a large impact. Uh, as they do today. So lucky and thankful that we got to learn um, early on. But um, I think uh, like, so packaging is really important. Packaging gets people in the door the first time, um, but product quality, product consistency is by and large, like our strategy 
You know, like the product has to be amazing. You can market it, you can sell it, you can do all the other kind of things that go around it. But if your product isn't stellar, exceptional, no one's going to buy it again. No one's going to buy it again. Yeah. And then, and then you've lost, what have you lost? You've lost your consumer. You've lost your reputation. Like it's so hard to bounce back from that. Um, so yeah, I think that we really are sticklers about quality and we're constantly trying to improve things. Like, like I said, you know, we're not perfect. We do have issues. Um, but we turn our team's attention. We have folks that are like, you know, dedicated to the quality of the product, um, not just in California, but outside of the state, um, as well. And so, yeah, just, just hone in on that product quality and that, that, that gains the trust and the respect of your consumer time and time again. I want to shift gears and, and, and go back to what you just kind of mentioned here, Christy, about some of the problems or challenges you faced early on. And I'm wondering, because our, our audience for the show is a lot of retail investors. like, And so you guys are a private company. And what we saw, you know, if you go back a couple of years, is a lot of younger cannabis companies, you know, struggling to access capital and looking to the public markets to do that. Um, so they took the jump. They listed on the CSE. Um, and we've just seen them get crushed. Uh, from from going on those public markets. And so I'm wondering when you guys were were building some of that momentum and, and um, working through, I'm, I'm sure, some capital challenges in, at some points, did you ever consider um, going public or do you feel like you've really dodged a bullet um, by staying private? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, um, yeah, we've I think we've always been somewhat capital constrained. That feels when I say that, that's totally accurate. <laughs> when we were like, oh, we're flushed with cash, yay. Um, so yeah. And then 280E comes in and you're like, oh right. Yeah. We have no money. <laughs> upcoming regulation, like just, you know, just all the stuff. There's so many things that um that uh, consume your cash and consume your capital. Um, you know, I think starting the company. Uh, where and how we did. So being hungry and being desperate, like we always had to rub our pennies together um, and uh, just act really responsibly. Um, and, you know, it was Scott's dad that kind of lent us. Well, my dad lent us the starting money for the grow. I got to give him credit there. And then Scott's dad lent us the money for um, <laughs> for Kiva. And, you know, Bill Palmer doesn't just write checks. Right. Bill Palmer has to be convinced that you need what you need. Right. Hey, Bill, we need 500 bucks because we got to order labels. OK, well, what you know, why do you need the labels? What what's going to what how's that going to help? So it was really helpful to have somebody like that, that you had to convince and yep. made you stop and think about what you were spending. Um, and I think that culture has continued on um, throughout the life of the company. So we waited to the last possible second um to raise to do our first raise uh in 2018 when legal cannabis you know our regulations were just rolling out in California and holy moly what a you know what a uh cluster those, those were interesting <laughs> times way yeah. way back then yeah insert curse word of choosing yep um, you can curse <laughs> if you want it's yeah. fine yeah um so you know we we waited until we absolutely, absolutely had to raise money um, to like save the company. Um, so we did that uh, as late as we could, um, which then in turn gave us time um, 
you know, time to get our, our operations under us. Like we had a brand, we had a reputation. So we came to the capital raising table with, you know, with some chips, right. With a little bit of like, okay, we have some confidence here. We know we're good at what we can do or what we do. Um, so that really helped. But, um, then I think it was probably like 2019 when it did become super sexy and popular for everybody to go public. Um, but that just to us, man, just didn't feel like it was necessary. Um, I'll say I'll use that word necessary because um, you could only pour so much fuel on the fire back then. Right. Like you didn't have what do you, what are you going to do with all of that money? You know, we're still limited to California mm-hmm. um, and, sh- you know, we can't ship all over the place. So our facility can only be so big and we can only we don't need to be at, we can only be as efficient as we needed to be then. Right. To support the pricing in the market. And we were always working our way towards being more efficient, but you didn't need to go buy a $2 million, you know, gummy making machine. Like just that wasn't necessary. So, so those type of, um, uh, equipment investments weren't necessary. So I think we just kind of went, uh, do we want to stay private and be, um, uh, in charge of our own destiny to the extent that we can, um, or go public. It just on the Canadian stock exchange, it just didn't, it wasn't the right path for us for, you know, some of those, um, some of those reasons. So, um, will we ever go public one day? I can't say that we won't, um, if the proper opportunity or the, you know, all the timings right and everything possibly. Um, but that isn't, that isn't why we run the company. That isn't what we do. You know, we don't wake up in the morning and go, how are we going to sell? How are we going to exit? Um, mm-hmm. cause I think that shifts the culture and your strategy, uh, in the wrong direction. So we just keep, let's just keep making super awesome stuff that people are going to fall in love with. Um, and that seems to be leading us down the right path. And I mean, you guys are, are killing it. You're making stuff that, that people really love. And, you know, you've mentioned California a lot, but you guys are, I think in nine States now, if yep. I have that number right. Yeah. In you, Canada too. Yeah. Can you talk about expanding the brand to the new states and, and the different challenges that um that, that that come with that and and you know uh also lay out for our, our, our listeners what states you're in and um if you're willing to break some news what states you're gonna be entering in soon. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um so yeah states that we're in I'll I'll try to catch them um I'll try to catch them also Hawaii, uh California obviously Arizona, Nevada um, Illinois, Ohio. We're going to launch in Missouri by the end of the year, Oklahoma, Michigan, Massachusetts. I don't think I left anybody out. I think that, I think that got all of them and then coming and then Canada and then coming down the pike. Um, New York is so exciting. I think everybody in cannabis is excited about New York where, um, we are as well. Um, Florida still stays super interesting, uh, just size of market there and the reach that could, the number of consumers, um, but regulatorily is super tricky. Um, and then New Jersey is also, um, another interesting kind of East coast state. So I think we're going to start the East coast states are really, um, seem to be a focus, uh, for, for most of the cannabis companies. I was also thinking Pennsylvania, that's another good one. So yeah, East coast is really starting to blossom, um, which makes it a a super interesting market. Um, 
what are the challenges that come along with out-of-state expansion? They are a plenty. Um, mm. We did our first uh, our first state in 2014. That was Arizona. Um, and then it took us maybe three <laughs> or four years. That's until... where Nick is. That's why he's pumping. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in Phoenix, so <laughs> okay, glad you guys cool, came yeah. here first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, with medical. I mean, you know, Arizona is a, yeah, they're all, there's a story to tell with each. Um, I'm sure, yeah. Each state. So, yeah, so we got, um, it took us a few years to get uh, more than like three states. I think it was Arizona, Nevada, and Illinois. That Those were our three states that we had for quite a while. Um, a few years. And then um, then we decided, okay, let's really make the lean into out-of-state expansion. Like if we're going to do it, we need to, we need to do it. We need to invest in it and make it good. Um, otherwise we might as well pull out because it doesn't, it doesn't add a lot of value to the brand to kind of limp along in these States, right? You don't want to go to Arizona or Illinois and be number 11 on the mm-hmm. brand ranking, right? That doesn't tell a great story. So, um, so we decided, okay, let's build out a team. Um, let's focus on, on expanding, um, in each of these new States where it makes sense. But, um, that's a huge undertaking. We did it with kind of a skeleton crew for a long time. So, you know, Oh, you work in marketing. Okay, cool. Now you can do, um, and <laughs> you can, you look up packaging regulations in Arizona <laughs> and tell us what is supposed to be on the package. <laughs> like, okay. So, um, it, that was, that was really hard doing it on a, a shoestring and it just took forever. You know, it would take a really long time to get a, any product into the market. Um, so today we have our our growth team. So the marketing folks are still, you know, if you sit, if your desk is in California, then you still are part of the growth, overall growth of the company, whether that's happening in California or in another market. Um, so just kind of changing the way we talk about um, our, our out-of-state expansion, our geo expansion, um, helped a lot, uh, bringing the full attention to all of the states rather than just California. Um, and that has really, um, that's been a great, uh, great way to do it for us. Um, where we have different market managers and, um, different folks kind of in charge of their, uh, a couple of states or one individual state. We have marketing, sales, quality, um, operations, support, you know, you should see the way we do our swag. It's yeah. like, you wouldn't even think of swag in another state being tricky, but it is right. There's everything's rules. tricky. Everything's tricky. <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, so yeah, the, the challenges around finding a partner, that is something we've gotten, uh, we've definitely honed our skills over the years, but, um, still super, super difficult to find a partner who philosophically aligns with what you want, what your brand, um, speaks for, uh, and who's engaged. And then, um, you know, also a partner that isn't also doing gummies or also doing chocolate or maybe a product line or, um, or a a channel of business that kind of makes them maybe not want to compete or, uh, or compete with your products and not want to push your products. So it's, it's really dynamic and, um, there's a lot that goes into it. So for, for anybody who's trying to do out of state expansion, you know, hang in there. (laughs) You got this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Hopefully it'll get better, but uh but yeah, it is what it is right now. It's a beast. 
Well, um, so that was a great transition and you didn't even know it, but um, talking about things getting better, uh, some major news was made last week by the Biden administration where uh, he announced that he's granting pardons to thousands who have been federally convicted of uh, marijuana possession. Um, it's been an interesting couple of days. The markets have certainly had, um, you know, an interesting reaction to this. Um, what was your initial reaction and what kind of impact do you think it's going to have? Yeah, my initial reaction, I think I read the headline like six times. Like, okay, <laughs> is this, <laughs> is this for real? Like that says Biden. It doesn't say, yeah. or, you know, like is this is right. So, um, yeah. Oh, so, uh, oh my gosh, there's, it, it's very promising. Um, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I like to be positive, but in this case, um, I think it's also really important to be critical because it is, a it is a move in the right direction, but, um, it's certainly not enough. It shows good faith and it shows that the federal government, at least, you know, if it's political or not, at least cannabis is being um, recognized and kind of the ridiculousness of its classification is also being recognized. And that is leading to people having their lives back, um, which is just so insane that, you know, we can sit here on this podcast and we can talk about all the things that Kiva does in the market. And there are people in jail for doing basically they're doing the same thing. They did the same thing. Um, and you know, the, it, it just, it's mind boggling that that is still, um, the case in this country today. So yes, it's for minor cannabis offenses like possession. I think it needs to extend beyond that. Um, but I also appreciate that Biden said it needs to go, you know, the governors in every state need to look at, you know, how this impacts their state as well. Um, so that is also really promising, but, um, yeah, it's, it's huge. It's, it's, I've just, yeah, it, it's hard to put words to how exciting it really is. Yeah. I, I, it really just felt like an acknowledgement of the mistakes of the war on drugs and particularly against those, those poorer communities that were really unfairly targeted. And I think that that plays really well into something I wanted to ask you about, you know, DE&I in the industry. We, we, we hear a lot about different campaigns that companies will, will institute in there, but um, it seems that they don't tend to, to, reach far enough into to solving the problems or really making the impact that everybody would hope for. Can you talk a little bit about DE&I at Kiva and, and, and where your guys' focus at, is at uh, on that part of the business? Yeah, totally. Yep. So DE&I um, and cannabis is, is so important, as you mentioned, you know, with the war on drugs and those policies targeting black and brown people at a far higher rate than white people. It's just, it's, um, it's sad and it's wrong. And, um, I think as a cannabis industry, we have a responsibility to do what we can, um, to start to improve upon, um, what's been done in the past and, and do what we can to right those wrongs. So for Kiva, um, we try to find opportunities wherever they are. Um, we've done some mentorship through the Ease Momentum program. Um, we've done some equity license partnerships. 
um, like in Oakland, they had their equity um, licensing requirements. So we found a, um, a business and uh, provided mentorship um, to that business. Um, within our own walls of the company, um, we've done uh, some um, uh, pride products over the years. Um, we like to do, uh, donations as well, charitable donations and contributions along with those product lines. And then, um, internally we're in the process of doing, um, a greater focus on DEI for our, um, for our employees and for our team. And, We've done some listening tours. So Scott and I, we've gone through different parts of the company and we're just sitting down with the team and saying, you know, what do you think? What experiences have you had? Um, what's going through your mind? And it has really been incredibly eye-opening. I think DEI has seemed like this giant mountain to climb and it is a big, it's a big um, hurdle. It's a big challenge. But I think you can start to tackle it with small things, small changes and something as simple as listening to people um, and hearing uniquely what their experiences are. Um, it's something as simple as uh, we learned, like part of our team wasn't hearing our monthly company meeting. And so you can you can see how, well, that's where we tell everybody what jobs are available and, you know, what sales were like and what new brands are entering our distribution portfolio. And when you exclude those folks from hearing the meeting, now they don't know what jobs are listed, right? They are operating at a completely different, um, they're just not in the know. And that right there is a small change that can be made to increase inclusivity um, for a huge population of our company. So it's um, it's a giant problem that we're all going to need to work on. And it's a journey for sure. Like it's not something you can just tackle with one solution. It's going to be something that everybody has to focus on long term. Um, but yeah, it's I, uh, yeah, I'm I've just I'm get I'm uh I'm just, just learning so much about the topic and um, and we're just happy to try to help however we can at Kiva and do whatever we can at Kiva. Uh, that's great. Um, can we talk for a minute? Let's look. So, you know, I know that these initiatives, like you're going to be chipping away at them, um, but let's look at the future and what... Um, with new innovations, um, you know, that that are coming online, things like, you know, beverages everyone's talking about what what innovations um excite you yeah beverage is a good one um beverage is exciting um i can't wait to go to like a cannabis bar or not even no not a cannabis bar i can't wait to go to a bar and buy a cannabis drink or go to a restaurant and buy a cannabis drink or an airport um, because how fun is that? And why are we drinking alcohol when we could be drinking cannabis and not having a hangover and all of the negatives that come along with drinking? 
Um, so super excited about beverage, but I think what's holding beverage back right now are lots of regulatory um, burdens. So once those are worked on, I think beverage will explode and be super awesome. So we've got a couple ideas up our sleeve, um, but uh, nothing, you know, nothing that's going to launch between now and when this um, podcast airs. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <A couple> weeks. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Kiva, me personally, everybody's excited about um, beverage. Um, I think other areas still, um, formats, form factors are really exciting. Like fruit chew is super fun and a a novel, interesting way to consume cannabis that is uh, different from gummy, different from chocolate. So I think we'll continue to see fun stuff coming out in formats. Um, Also emerging cannabinoids like all the CBGDT, you know, there's a million different, <laughs> maybe not a million. There's a ton of new um, cannabinoids that can go into edibles, can be inhaled. Um, so you're seeing a lot of a lot of hype and fun stuff around that, and we're uh, we're doing our fair share of um, exploration in that in that regard. Uh, Christy, it, it's been really great having you on the show. I've got one more question for you before we let you go. And, you know, since you guys have been in the industry now since 2010, when you, when you first launched Kiva, you've, you've seen a lot of growth, maturity, challenges from the industry. But I'm really interested in, you know, is there something that you or a story that you think is undertold in the industry? Like if you were going to open up the Chronicle on the A1, um, is there a story that you think, or you, you've been following on your own regard, but you want you don't think it's gotten that national attention or, or larger industry attention that you would like to see, um, you know, get highlighted a little bit more? Yeah, so Nick, um, I think I'd answer that with uh, a two-part answer. So I think um, in as the cannabis industry is maturing, there, uh, the the patient, the medical um, component of cannabis is um, not as part of the a large part of the conversation as I think it should or or needs to be. Um, there's still so many positive effects of cannabis um, that we we don't even know. There's just not enough research being done um, on on how those can be applied to uh, to different um, ailments and um, and diseases. So I think that is a, a really amazing thing yet to come um, is when we get that research, how can we uh how can we help more people, different ages, different backgrounds um, with cannabis, with cannabinoids? Um, So I think that's amazing. Also, um, the other side of it is we talk a lot about the unlicensed cannabis marketplace. And, um, you know, there's uh, there's the illicit market, people call it. There's the black market, the gray market. Like, I think um, those those markets don't. How do I say this better? I think we need to lower the barriers of entry um, for cannabis entrepreneurs and for people who want to participate. Um, you know, Scott and I got our start in our home kitchen and we made responsible products that were tested. We didn't get anyone sick. Like it's possible. You can you can create a product that's great for public safety um, and public health on a small scale. And right now we've created um, regulations in most states that are um, that are really, really high. We've taxed the product um, at an insane level. And now we have unregulated, untested, um, uh, counterfeit type products out 
in the marketplace. So that's one thing I think that um, we need to we'll we'll beat out those those kind of unlicensed operators by we'll do it economically, right? So let's let people in, let's lower the prices um, of cannabis, lower the barriers of entry, and allow people to to innovate and create cool new products, you know, just like we did. So I think that is a story that isn't being talked about um, enough right now. That's a great one. Uh, Christy Palmer, thank you so much. Co-founder of Kiva Confections, um, definitely a favorite among us KCSAers. To find out more about the company and their products, check them out at kivaconfections.com. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, please reach out on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Also be on the lookout. We are going to be dropping a new logo and some new imagery um, and spicing up our social channels. So please, um, we would love to interact with you guys there. Um, and lastly, please don't forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay, one take.